Hey guys, Damo here. I was lucky enough to sit down with the man behind Barrera's Magic just to work out how he is so good at what he does. We also had a chat about his AFLW fantasy formats and his finals fantasy format coming up, which you should all check out. Here's the interview. He's got some really good things to say. All right, so back-to-back fantasy winner in 2017 and 2018. And now you've tried your hand at Supercoach and finished eighth. Do you have a tried and true method that you stick to? to all of this? Yeah, I do. I uh, I try to, or particularly in the fantasy landscape, I try to make sure every player I pick with my starting squad, I think they've got upside or price upside on their starting price to look back at what that price is equivalent to in terms of points, whether that be Supercoach or Fantasy, and then look at how I think they will score that year. And if I think they can outperform that, then I'd do it. So back in the day, the method of the true tried and true method in Fantasy was the guns and rookies. Pick who you think's the best player in each line, regardless of price, whether it's Dane Swan, Gary Ablett, Boyd down back, and then whatever money you had left, you'd filled it with the cheap rookies. Uh, when the unlimited trades came in, it meant that you could afford to take a haircut on those top players because you still have enough trades in your bank to get them all into your side at one point of the season. And it proved to be more economical to, to try to save up and generate the cash before taking a plunge on those big dogs. So I know the super coach strategy has been that pick the best players in each position as keepers and then see what you can do outside of that. But I think the extra trades this year in Supercoach certainly helped, as well as the fact that a lot of these cheaper guys ended up being the top-line players in their position, like Cicely, Hewitt, Will Brody. So it could have been a good season for that philosophy to work out. It might not happen every year, but uh, yeah, this season certainly worked. Was this your first year doing Supercoach? Nah, I played when I was young, uh, when I used to play both fantasy and super coach there was actually a year there i've got to find out what year it was and see if they even see what the record there because i don't know the exact figures but i don't know after round one i was coming second overall and it was fluke like i i picked my preference in wa from wa the, the the dominant platform is the fantasy i know super coach is massive over in victoria but i uh I focused more my Friends and leagues are in fantasy, so I had that was my main one. Then super coach, I essentially picked a team of players who I couldn't fit into my fantasy team and players I wanted but couldn't fit them in, and that ended up being a far superior side. So once I had the good start for the year, put the focus into that team, and I think overall, I, I don't know, I don't think I was in the teens. There was a chance I might have been in the top 30, 40. I, I should actually know. All I know is I came second overall in WA because they had a separate prize pool of a couple of thousand bucks in the Sunday Times, Perth now, and they had the ladder for the WA and my name was in there. I was pretty pumped as a kid to see my name in the paper every week, every Sunday to see where I was sitting and I finished second in WA. So that was successful. Uh, From there, I again played both formats until it came to when I won the fantasy comp in 2017 and really started applying my trade to fantasy. I then... Uh, I put all my time and effort into it that I didn't even have, I didn't want any distractions. So I was purely fantasy since probably 2018 until this year where I've yeah, been sat out in AFL fantasy now. So I thought, well, let's scratch the itch with um, 
Oh, sorry, mate. Have you got me now? Uh, yes, yeah, so Supercoach had a crack at it this year for the first time in, yeah, whatever that is, five, six years. And, uh, yeah, it was good fun. Is there anything that Supercoach does that fantasy doesn't that you enjoy more? Uh, the trade boosts, definitely. And uh, I know that's just new for Supercoach, but I really enjoyed the fact that, one, you knew you had them up the sleeve for absolute dire team selections or uh, if a COVID thing did have, so you had peace of mind knowing that you could pull the trigger on three, but where most coaches did use them, where I used them was early stage of fast track that upgrade candidates and rather than having to settle for a second tier premium with your, your up, early season upgrades, you could do two down, one up and get that top tier player a lot earlier in the season than you could have otherwise. So love that about Supercoach. Uh Mate, I'm not against the scoring system. I really like the way that they uh, take into account efficiency and certain impact on games with the scoring and, and watching it live. It certainly keeps you more engaged because it's not just waiting for your person to get a kick. It's seeing where that kick goes to and then seeing if that kick then results results in a score involvement. And there's a lot more to it to know. So it keeps you on the edge of your seat. So I quite like the scoring system. And then, yeah, the, the trades boost was another thing. I know that a lot of... Uh, traditional super coaches love the fact that limited trades means you have to be strategic about holding your trades and when you use them. I just found the back end of the season became a bit stale when a lot of the teams were very similar at the top. A lot of the teams at the top didn't have any trades. We just kind of had to sit there on our hands and just let it play out. It was very hard to make moves to, to catch the top. Whereas fantasy, two trades each week, use or lose, by the end of the season... You're trading out commonly owned players, bringing in unique players to those above you and trying to play a bit of cat and mouse there, sitting at the top of you, trying to match those teams behind you. And it's, it keeps you a lot more engaged, I think, for the full season. So uh, that's where I've got the vote on fantasy in that instance. Yep. So, yeah, with Supercoach, it's definitely your early season moves that shapes how the back end of the season goes. So do you think that fantasy is the more superior product or do you think they both have their... Uh... Have, have their good and bad um, points. Yeah, both have their good and bad points. Uh, the, the, another, well, I say it's a knock on it, but it probably saved me a lot of uh, screen time slash battery, the fact that there's no live rankings uh, throughout the weekend and the, the platform's a little bit clunky. It takes until Sunday lockout before you know how you've performed, which, as I said, super fantasy, which up, dates per kick your rank at the top you kept on having a refresh refresh and you saw your rank come in or go out so it was great engagement that way but uh and that's probably superior having said that i, I quite like the fact you can kind of park your phone and, and wait for the end of the week to see it and i've now know because i will speak about in a minute the platforms i run uh that ranks likely won't come out until the end of lockout anyway so i was certainly not um, bagging the platform in that regard as, as i mentioned i like the scoring system of Super coach, I like the fact that their trade boosts there. I just like the the use or lose trades all season for fantasy. I think makes it more in, in entertaining and uh, unpredictable all the way up until the end of the season. Do you ask for help much across the season, and are people willing to help you, or do they more or less just let you work it out because you've been so successful? I asked Tommy who's a proven super coach jet uh 
a lot of advice and bounce ideas off him. He does a bit of work for us at Marura's Magic and had the success on that platform in the past. And his was a lot about making sure whoever you do trade in, you've got to be prepared to hold them the rest of the year. I'm used to fancy where with those two trades, you could trade in someone who might not even be a top 15 midfielder in round five to know you can hold them for six weeks until the buyers and then they're going to make enough money that you can then jump off them, use them as a stepping stone, make all these moves. Whereas he was good overarching saying, well, look, you're welcome to get him in. Like he's he's likely to outperform that price. Someone like a Caldwell early year who I jumped on, but they're not going to be a keeper and you're going to make, if it's for cash generation, you're going to make more cash out of it, a rookie. So he, in terms of philosophies, he was great to bounce off. In terms of actual player performances, like it's it's hard not to take advice in terms of you look at, I listen to a lot of podcasts, follow a lot of people on Twitter, but I back in my own eye, I watch every game of footy to to make the call on specific players and how I think they're going to perform going forward. All right. Um, a little bit more into how you manage your own team. Uh, what's your general rule for an injured player? How do you decide when it's time to let them go? How much time do they have to be missing for you to decide to trade them out in Supercoach and in Fantasy? Yeah, Fantasy, I trade them out almost regardless, uh, almost regardless in Fantasy if they're out for one plus weeks. I know during upgrade season, which is probably round four or five to round 10, then you're probably better off holding, making an upgrade elsewhere if they're out for one week because in two weeks' time, you've then got one extra premium than you would have if you just sideways trade that injured player. But I still like to get the points on the field as quickly as possible. With that mindset, I came in a super coach with a similar thing, wanting to trade. But again, listen to Tommy and his philosophies, it's very much more two plus or two or less weeks you hold. And I did hold... Hewitt, when I thought he was going to be out for only the one, then I had to trade him out the week after when he was declared out for the season. I think Dustin Martin, early season, I thought he was only going to miss one. I held him for the one, which didn't pay off, and I had to trade him out otherwise. So uh, the ones who I held who were injured, I wish I traded earlier, but then the ones who I traded earlier end up working out. So I think you're better off trading him when you can than, than hold it off. And and deal with it at the end. But then again, like it was a, a unique season where back end of the season, there was pretty calm. There was no real laid outs, rests or injuries. So I could get away with not many trades as I did. I didn't have many trades to hold back half the year and seemed to continue to improve rank. So in another year with a bit of carnage, it's easy then to say, well, maybe you do have to hold these injured players for, for the three weeks. But yeah, I'm, I like points in the field as soon as you can. Yeah, I find that um, a lot of the time patience can get you more points than than trading left, right and centre. So it, I guess it depends what sort of situation your team is in. When you were planning your trades, how do you prioritise which positions to upgrade first? Do you have a plan? Do you have a list of players that you're going to hold on to? Do you have a list of players that you know you're going to be moving at some point? How do you how do you plan your trades and the positions that you upgrade first? Uh, yeah, it's not as calculated as that. It's more just one the opportunity if there is someone out there who comes in at a great price, which is hard to say no to. I think during the year, like there was a one where Clayton Oliver came off his poor score, and then unfortunately the weekend after that, he put out the one seventy odd or might have got pushed to two hundred and didn't actually 
go down price much, but he was just right for the picking after that one. When the poor score dropped out, he was rolling average. Luke Parker, same thing, came in. It's just hard to say no to them. So that then forces your hand to then move in that position. But in terms of who I trade out, it's a lot of gut feel and you just get a feel which play you, you feel nervous running out each each weekend for you. And even sometimes, like I mentioned, I got Caldwell. Like he was scoring fine, but I wasn't confident at all rolling him in out each week. So as soon as I had an opportunity to get him to a decent player, I was more than happy to pull the trigger there. So certainly to have a list of my future trades planned or my ideal 22 I want to achieve at a certain time. It's a lot of, yeah, for trade-outs, how confident I am on a weekend watching them run out. And then for trade-in, whoever's sitting there right for the pick. Zach Merritt was another one who I got on at a good time of the year who was hard to say no to at the price he was. Were there any disaster trades that you had to fix up pretty quickly? Disaster trades. Well, I traded in Jack Steele early and then had he got injured not long after that. I mentioned I started Dustin Martin. I got one game out of him. In terms of sliding doors moments, I think it was around 10 or 11, I traded in, I needed a premium upgrade in defence and traded in Jack Crisp and was tossing up between him or Jack Sinclair who was on his buy and just with buy planning I needed the extra player that week I think I had 19 players on field that week so if I had Jack Sinclair I wouldn't have got more than 19 Jack Crisp got me up to 20 but the week where Crisp had his buy I already had or thought I was going to have 21 so by having Sinclair there instead of Crisp going up from 21 to 22 wouldn't have really helped me a heap because I already had bottom scores dropping out. Had, had it, the way it happened is that I think what Owens got injured or didn't get picked, uh, Jack Hayes, there was a fair few there. I forgot who else it was. I might have even had Marchbank in there that only had the bare 18 that final week anyway. So in terms of buy structure, would have been better off going Sinclair over Crisp. And then that was the trade which haunted me for the rest of the season. I could never rectify that. And I think I haven't done the numbers because I think it's enough for me to probably would have won the game because I think what Crisp would have averaged 80, Sinclair 130, sorry, 115, 35 point difference over 12 weeks, 400 points. Okay, mate. I think that was probably enough to win the comp. Yeah, wow that that really uh, that really did shape your season, didn't it? Um, and what was your best trade? What was the best trade that paid off for you? Uh, best trade to pay off. I got Laird real early, so I I think it was Jack Steele to Laird before Laird was really that good. And even his first game for me, I think was his lowest score for the season. He got a ninety-seven or something, and I was like, oh. That was a pretty poor start because he was pretty unique when I got him in then. And then he obviously went on that big tear to a point where people couldn't even afford him at the back half of the year. So getting him in at a decent stage, similar to Zach, not Zach Dawson, far from Zach Dawson, Jordan Dawson. I'm trying to think who I traded out for Zach, uh, Jordan Dawson, but same thing. Got him on when he was pretty unique early in the season. And again, he wasn't that good early. And I thought, oh, gee, I'm a unique player. I'm giving up a fair few points here. And then he came home really strong and proved to be good. So I got a soft spot for Adelaide Crows. They were, they were good to me. A lot of people got caught up with the Ruckman going down left, right and centre. Seemingly every week there was a Ruckman in, injured somewhere. 
How did you manage that one? Did you have to do any trades with the ruck line over and over again? Yeah, I did. And this is, again, we told him every coach, okay, I dare say the top 10 would all have a story how one different thing went against them and they could have watched even the winner probably had a few things go their way. Like I mentioned, Sinclair over Crisp. Everyone's got those stories. So it's not like I um, don't hold grudges in that or think I could have or should have won. But I did start with a Gorn-Grundy-Ruck combo, which I thought was the best combo, and not many teams around the top had that. A lot of them had the Tim English and Wits, who kept pumping out these massive scores, 120s, 120s, when a Gorn-Grundy were doing 80s and 90s. And I was still ranked pretty well. I was still around the top 100 and thought, well, soon it's all going to come out in the wash and the cream will rise to the top and Gorn Grundy will get their 130s and English and Wits will go back to scoring 80s and I reckon I can win this thing. And then, unfortunately, they both got injured, so I had to trade them out pretty low and then get a English and a Wits mid-season who then went on to score their 80s and 90s in the back half year, which I always thought they were going to do, but that's when I owned them as well. So that was the other one where... At least I didn't have to use a heap of trades in there. It was just, I'm pretty sure they were the, the only moves I did. Oh, no, Sean Darcy somehow snuck in there too. So uh, must have put English back forward and then got Sean Darcy in. So, yeah, a bit of movement in the ruck department, which I know every coach playing fancy or super coach had to do this year. What's your one takeaway in super coach for next season? Uh, one takeaway is... Oh, I think it's just to continue to back yourself in. And it's not just my philosophy. It's whoever's got their own philosophies. There's a lot of group think out there in both formats and even about using trades. Like I was using trades pretty quickly early and a lot of people say, oh, well, you, you can't be using all your trades then. Um, but obviously showed that you didn't, that worked out okay. Even I started a Jack McRae, who to be fair, looking at total points, played every game. He was right up there, total points for midfielders. So he wasn't by no means a bad pick. But when I mentioned I like to pick players who can improve on their price in every position, that was one position I didn't think he could improve on his price. But it was a common thought, especially with the rolling lockouts and loopholes, which I haven't really played that before in fantasy 2017, 2018. And Bulldogs had all those Thursday, Friday games. And the chat was, well, you need McRae in your team because he's by far the highest scorer and you get two cracks of the cherry. So I gave in to starting with him where that kind of went against my philosophy. Would have, I probably would have rather started with, well, I already had Paddy Cripps, it's someone more around that um, underpriced premium figure. So yeah, back in my own judgment uh, a bit more. Who will be your first picked player for 2023? And you can say for both formats here. Yeah, first picked player, uh, it would probably be a Taron Thomas from Kangas. He was in the preseason squad this year and got away with one there. Uh, so he'll come in much cheaper again. And under Alistair Clarkson, everything I've heard about Alistair Clarkson, I think he's going to get him up and going. So he'll be good in both formats. All right, we'll talk about your fantasy formats that you have launched. You launched AFLW Fantasy earlier in the year for Season 6 of AFLW, which is a great initiative, and it's awesome to see it back for Season 7. What did the first season teach you, and how did you prepare for Season 7? Are you prepared for the growing demand? Hopefully. 
hopefully. So, yeah, obviously there was well, not so much a gap in the market, but there was a need and a want for AFLW fantasy. I'm obviously a, a big fantasy fanatic. And uh, hand up, don't really know AFL or didn't know AFLW that well. I just thought it'd be a cool thing to do to, one, get use my fantasy addiction in the off-season. And so myself and the Wonkstar, her name is, she helped uh, me with a lot of my data for the Maroos Magic side. She was, it was also a passion of hers to, to get this off the ground. So we put in the resources to create the comp where we have the platform where you can pick your team and salary cap changes prices and point scoring ladders, all that. The learning is we thought that we could press the button it would all just run itself. Uh, obviously, the demand for it was good. Like, I think we had 1,800 or 1,700 join first year, which is good numbers. But they all, we as we know with our fancy fans, super trades, they all jump it on there at once. So pre-lockout from when the team came out at 5.30 to when bounced down at 7.10, every one of those 1,800 were trying to jump on, make their moves, and the, the site just couldn't handle that pressure and just kept crashing, which is a shame. So in terms of learnings, well, I would really boost the server and work with the developer on that and have a few backup plans too if the server crashes and then jumps onto a different server and then pop up messages where people can put through their trades via email if, if worst case scenario does crash again. So hopefully, fingers crossed, tomorrow will be D-Day being on Thursday that it does hold up. But there's, yeah, we've got more contingency plans in place. We learned a lot. Like even last year, there's a few not loopholes, but you could pick players on the bench in different positions when set up, you should only pick it one from each position. So that all the rules and constraints have been a lot better checked that hopefully all teams are complete because we had to sort of edit some teams or delete some teams last year. Hopefully they can all run to so be a lot less uh, manual entry as it was last year. Fantasy formats, uh, are a great way to build a fan base of particular sports, as you said, and attracts a lot of different people and opportunities, both for the fantasy format and the game itself. Was that one of the driving factors when you decided to create it? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is it. Obviously, it's a free game. We can't charge for it. Otherwise, it's deemed as gambling. So the fantasy community and fantasy itself has been good to me, obviously winning the comp a couple of years and then people getting around the Marrows Magic product. So we thought it was a good service to give to the community to one, give them a, a platform to play, but then also for the AFLW, like we know the power fantasy can have, how many more people who play fantasy sports consume so much more content, watch so many more games, and that will then lead to more eyeballs on the game, which will give more advertising, which will be more pay, which will then mean they'll be more full-time athletes, which then mean the product becomes better, which then more people watch. It becomes this sort of vicious cycle. So that's certainly what we want to help grow. A bit disappointed that neither the AFL or any other uh, product provider have decided to run an AFLW platform. So we thought, well, why not? Let's give it a crack. And as I said, it came with a few of its issues and took a lot more time and effort and money than we first thought. But uh, hopefully coming into season two, we've got a few of them sorted. And just judging by the buzz on on Twitter, people are loving it and really enjoying the challenge of this new game. And you've also got the finals footy fantasy coming up as well for the men's final series. 
Supercoach did this format a little while ago, but they don't do it anymore. Was, was that part of the inspiration or did it come from your own mind? Yeah. So as mentioned, the resources, learning money for the women's comp was a lot more than expected. But what it did come from that is that we've now got this infrastructure or IP, which gives us the ability to create comps. It was a, a tech there that you can pick your team. It's got a great security in terms of the registration. It's got the rules around we can build. So essentially we can create more fancy comps for minimum resources going forward. So while we've already got the cost and effort in there for the women's platform, we thought, well, why not use this platform for more? And yeah, as you mentioned, both AFL Fantasy and Supercoach used to run a comp for the finals. And it, I think it's good because I know that people have fancy fatigue and I certainly don't blame anyone who does. And if you do, by no means um, take a break, enjoy the off-season, get ready for next season. But for those who want more fancy or who find a 23-week fancy season of putting your trades in each week, working the break-evens, missing out on players, their price goes too high, it's made to be a very simple game to play for only the four-week period for those, even the new-age fancy or new age generation who don't have the patience. So essentially it's a four week comp, but each of those weeks, the weekly prize pool is a big weighting towards the overall prize pool. And it's going to be first, second, third prizes for each of the weeks. There's unlimited trade. So after one week, if you have a poor week, you can butter up, go again, select like a whole new team, try to win that next first, second, third weekly prize. Uh, there's a sal- no salary cap. So again, you can fit in all those premiums you've been wanting to fit in all season without having to go chasing. Uh, there's injury subs. So if a player plays 40% or less game time, or sorry, less than 40% game time, you'll get your emergency scores, whose automatic allocation to emergency. And obviously it's not going to be a rookie. It's going to be a premium because there's no salary cap. So a lot of it's set to be quite simple, easy, stress-free, four weeks, have a crack. Sounds awesome. Are there any more fantasy iterations on the horizon, maybe for a different sport like the T20 World Cup? Uh, hasn't, not on the plan, and T20 World Cup comes in pretty shortly. So have to say no to there. But as I said, we've got the system there now. We're still obviously fine-tuning a fair bit of it, but why not? We can uh, look to do other things, whether it is other sports anything really like you could do a survivor comp for survivor a fancy comp for survivor and you get points per challenge one and lose points voted off whatever it is like the 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 potential is untapped and i'm a big fancy fan and i think that in australia we underappreciate fantasy sports and i think that it can be get more of a presence and become cool again sort of thing so if we can start creating some fun ways to get people distracted from the everyday worries, which is what I think fantasy does. I know it creates a lot of its own worries when we're stressed about our players not getting performance and got getting kicked, but essentially it, it gives you a nice distraction from the everyday life. So there certainly could be more things in the future, but there's nothing in, uh, in the horizon at the moment. All right. Thank you so much for sitting down and taking this interview. It's been great to learn about the way you do things and all your fantasy formats coming up. So, um, Thanks again, and uh, good luck for the AFLW fantasy season. Cheers, Damo. Nice to chat.